0: live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My, my refuge and my fortress, my, fortress, my, my God, God in whom and I trust. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. For the God I will command the angels concerning you to guard you. O Most High, our refuge and our fortress, our God in whom we trust, we adore you. O Yesu, who is tempted in all things as we are but without sin, we praise you. O Spirit, accompanying your children who have set out this day not knowing where they are going, we glorify you. Lead us in these 40 days, we pray, to the hill where love will prove stronger than death even as the world you so love continues to break your heart.
1: You may be seated. Grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those gathered here in this sanctuary for worship and everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And because we gather in the name of the Lord, our word of welcome is one with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in God's house and all are welcome here. We are particularly delighted to welcome a group of students from Howard University who are here on Alternative Spring Break this week. Thank you for choosing to worship with us today. we hope you, along with everybody in the sanctuary, will join us for a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service, which will be held in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a short ramp. There we'll find some cookies and lemonade, and most importantly, the opportunity to get to know one another better. We are grateful for your presence here and commend you for the alternative spring break that you are doing. So thank you on behalf of Philadelphia. I'd like to highlight a couple things from the uh, announcements portion of your bulletin. The first is to highlight we have a Lenten series being led by the Reverend Barbara Chaple. You can sign up for that through the church website. I'd like to note as well that you should have read this in your messenger, your monthly messenger, but our mission committee is sponsoring a mission drive that will take place all through the season of Lent. And starting next Sunday, you will see receptacles over here in the Wanamaker side transept where you may bring your offerings. A full list is in the messenger of items that are needed for some of our mission partners here in Philadelphia. And here is my my challenge to you as a congregation, but each of you individually, For the season of Lent, do not come to the house of the Lord empty-handed. Bring something, and during the time of the offering, place it in the receptacle so that we may benefit our neighbors here in Philadelphia. I'd like finally, as a family of faith, to share with you the joy that we had yesterday of the marriage of Amy Paith and Jonathan Feeders here at First Church. We surround them with our prayers of, of joy in this time of their life. With all of these things noted, let us continue to worship God with our confession of sin.
0: Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in God do we trust nor find God to fail. Because God's mercies are tender and firm to the end, Let us with confidence and contrition kneel before our Maker, Defender, Redeemer, and Friend. Let us pray. Holy God, you have called us. You have called us to a way of life set apart from the ordinary. You have called us to be a light to the nations. You have called us to grateful generosity, to faithful discipleship, to holy living, yet in our sin we do not live out our calling. As we prepare to come to your table, we ask that you would forgive us once more and remind us of our baptism, of the holy calling you have placed upon each of our lives, that we might show forth the light of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we make our prayers. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now I declare to you in Jesus Christ you have received mercy. Believe in the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. The first lesson comes to us from Paul's letter to Christians in Rome, beginning to read at the 10th chapter, 8th verse. Listen for God's word to us this day. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, and so is justified. And one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. The scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the second lesson from the Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Listen again for God's word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was vanished. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, Command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority. For it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him, until an opportune time. Thanks be to God.
1: Our final lesson is taken from the book of Deuteronomy. We read there in the 26th chapter, the first 11 verses. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this day. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for God's name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramaean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien. Few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders, and he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. <coughs> a wandering Aramaean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, Mighty and populous. Then the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk. And honey, these verses of Deuteronomy, observes Gerhard von Rod, comprised a prayer to be spoken when the first fruits were delivered to the sanctuary by the ancients. And von Rod adds later, the ancient credo of sacred history touched upon the patriarchal period with only one statement: "A wandering Aramean was my father." and how powerfully this statement is unfolded in Genesis chapters 12 to 25 in fact the story of each patriarch and i would add matriarch with the exception of Isaac is itself filled with suspense because of a great display of divine promises and fulfillments the stories of Genesis, indeed the stories of the whole Bible, tell the story of promises kept. So much is the importance of God's reliability to keep God's word that the foundational act of worship, the act of acknowledging God's gifts to us by returning the first fruits is marked by a reminder that the very food we eat comes to us out of the abundance of Of God's goodness, promise keeping, trustworthiness is the bedrock of the stories of the patriarchs and matriarchs. But at the same time, it wouldn't be truthful to tell these stories without acknowledging that God's faithfulness to God's promises means faithfulness to a group of highly erratic, highly unpredictable highly dysfunctional people whose only claim to faith is that they followed when called. I am referring, of course, to good old Father Abraham and all of his family. Trashy novels have nothing on the Bible when it comes to salacious stories. In the beginning of Abraham's story, God set a promise in place. I will make of you a great nation. And Abram's part, that was his name then, Abram's part was to go, to leave, to set out into an unknown future with only the promise of God's blessing. Indeed, I wonder at times whether if the story of Abram and Sarai, before God changed their names to show that there was something new, I wonder if their story wouldn't be More likely to be a reality television show than a sacred text. Genesis is the stuff of Jerry Springer. Now, I'm not going to assume we all know the stories of Genesis, so let's have a quick recap. Within, it seems, minutes of God's announcement of the call to Abram, The whole thing, the whole promise, winds up in serious jeopardy due to Abram's misguided attempts to save his own skin. Upon going to Egypt in search of food, Abram's wife Sarai is observed to be a rather fetching woman by Pharaoh, Abram suggests that they masquerade as brother and sister, and so Sarai is taken into Pharaoh's harem, and Abraham profits handsomely. God, however, is not amused, and a plague descends on Pharaoh's house. Then, a few chapters later, Abram, who's now known by Abraham, goes by Abraham, pulls the exact Same Stunt, but this time in the house of Abimelech, allowing his wife again to be seen as his sister and taken into the man's harem, and when the same results come about, defends himself to Abimelech with the not-so-squeaky-clean revelation that, in fact, she is his half-sister sharing a father with him, but not a mother. I promise you, I am not making this up. Genesis chapters 12 to 25, have fun with that. Years ago, I preached that this story was evidence that God uses very ordinary people, but I am now prepared to revise that assessment. There is nothing ordinary about these people. This story is messed up. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. From this very flawed, very human vessel, God forged God's witness in the world in the people of Israel. But more than that, from this very flawed, very human vessel, God showed God's way in the world, that of God's creative nature doing a new thing, moving from brokenness and barrenness to fruitfulness and hope. Now, after the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we encounter the stories of Joseph and his brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel going to dwell in Egypt through the whole of the Genesis narrative. And then we read in Exodus of the story of God's saving activity for God's people who groaned in bondage We read how God brought the people out with Moses. How God gave the law to the people at Sinai in order to be a blessing so that they might be a people and have an identity. God's people who live so that the world knows by the manner of their life something of who God is. All of these things, all of these formative moments for Israel, are the foundation of our faith. Paul says, Paul reminds us, that we are grafted into God's people through Jesus Christ. It all starts here. It all has its genesis in Genesis with this very flawed, very human vessel who listened when God said, Go. And what came before all of this drama? The creation, the Tower of Babel, and the flood. Karl Barth once declared that in the covenant with Noah, God demonstrated once and for all God's intention to be for humankind. Henceforth, God declared, no matter how big the mess, I will be with you in it. And in all of this mess, in all of the disorder of chaotic languages and destructive people living destructive lives, God fairly sings out of the sky to Abram, Go! Go where I will lead you. And then he goes. Paul said in Romans that this faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. Amidst all the mess of Abraham's story, and it actually goes downhill after this model of gleaming decorum and chastity I've already told you about. Through all of this mess, Abraham lived trusting in God. God's calling is notorious in that God doesn't call the best and the brightest necessarily, nor nor does God necessarily go to the dullest and the dimmest. Uh, God doesn't call those who are the most equipped, and neither does God seek people who have no gifts. God doesn't call the most morally upright, or those who live in the moral sewers necessarily. God calls the people who will go. In Abraham's call, God set a people in motion, God's people. God's people are God's blessing to the world. And I have to wonder how much more the global church could do if we stopped waiting for the right time to do something and simply listened for where God is saying, Go! I don't necessarily mean this church particularly. With everything this congregation has witnessed in 324 years, I think we've established we know how to live with uncertainty. But we have to keep going forward. We have to continue as a congregation to look ahead, not seeking certainty, but seeking God and God's people. And I confess to you, in this age of uncertainty, I have only one fear for this congregation. It's not financial. It's not the building. It is that we will all breathe a collective... (sighs) ...slump back in our pews, exhausted after all of this, and wait for somebody else to take their turn. And we will forget that the only way... That church is church is through all of us, because God is still calling us, and the moment will never be perfect. Bruce Larson tells this story. I learned a great lesson from our youngest son, who is presently a senior criminal prosecutor in Seattle. When Mark was 19, he took a year off between high school and college and worked as a laborer in Florida, where we lived. At the end of the year, he got a tax refund from the government and decided to use it to buy a racing bike, something he had always wanted. Returning home with the great bike that he had bought, he announced, Tomorrow, there is an all-Florida professional bike race in Fort Myers. My buddy and I are going to sign up for it. With the faith of a father, I said, You're crazy. What do you know about racing? You just bought this bike. I don't know, not thought, he said, but it'll be good experience. So the next morning, off they went. Later that night, they arrived back at our house, and Mark had the first-place trophy. I said, what happened? Didn't anyone else show up? Oh, no, he said. It was a big turnout. I was really puzzled. I asked, well, how did you happen to win? Well, he explained, I knew I didn't know what I was doing. So I just started out pedaling as fast as I could, and nobody ever passed me. And Dr. Larson concludes, From Mark's racing story, I developed my now-famous slogan, which I will pass on to you right now as invaluable advice. If a thing is worth doing, it is worth doing poorly. Don't wait until you have all of the equipment, all the training, and all the courses you will need, uh, unless you're a brain surgeon. If God gives you a dream don't spend too many hours days and months in getting ready launch out launch out a wandering aramean is our ancestor it is time for us to move beyond a pandemic mindset And to ask ourselves, what is the dream that God is calling us to dream? Because God is calling us. And it may very well start with collecting items needed for people who need them. But it surely won't end there. Not with what I know about the history of this congregation. It's no truism, so much so that I hesitate to recite it yet again to you, that God doesn't call only those who are equipped for the call. Instead, God equips those whom God has called. So let me tell you a personal story. I have a couple of pictures that I treasure. One was taken, well, both of these were taken quite a while back, actually. The first one is of me teaching a class of adults of every age. I love it because it shows what I thought I would be doing, teaching and seeking to walk alongside others in a life of faith, asking questions in such a way that our answers are not pat answers but rather have depth and meaning to them, they're, they're thoughtful, and frankly, even to be comfortable, come comfortable with the fact that sometimes the answers are not forthcoming and, and maybe we only get better questions. That was what I thought I was going to do when I was training to be a minister, and I still do. I I prepared for it. I trained for it. I read for it. I don't think I'm half bad at it. But then there is another picture. This one was taken on the last day that I was the associate pastor of Trinity Church in Charlotte, and it means the world to me. It is me in the big black robe in our reception hall, and there are four young men standing around me. One, a high school senior, and the other three, sophomores in college, who had come home from school to be in church the day that I preached my last sermon there. And the second picture means so much to me because youth ministry is not something I ever prepared to do. I thought I was going to be a scholar and think deep thoughts and assist others in thinking deep thoughts. I didn't arrive at Trinity Church with a single gift or skill that I knew that I was prepared to throw into the aspect, frankly, the rather small aspect of my job, that was to oversee their youth ministry. I didn't go to seminary with the faintest glimmer of a desire to sleep on fellowship hall floors and debone chickens and soup kitchens and with high school students on their mission trips. I, I never dreamed that I would officiate Weddings for nineteen-year-olds who hadn't planned their pregnancies, or write letters to judges to try to get lighter sentences, or or even to celebrate receiving Phi Beta Kappa. None of these things was something that I went to school thinking that I would ever do. None of these things was something I went and learned how to do. No, I accepted a call one day, and then close to nine years later, realized. That God had done something. And there was this picture of me with these young people that I had forged a relationship with without a clue how I would be their minister. A wandering Aramaean is our ancestor. And the surest way to present the first fruits of our labor to God, who has blessed us with all that we have and all that we are is to go where God is leading us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
0: As Moses said to the Israelites, so I say to you, now bring the first fruit of the ground that the Lord your God has given you. Set it down before the Lord your God, and bow down before the Lord your God. Your offering in the sanctuary and online is invited.
1: Let us pray. Eternal God, from your creation, we have all that we need. Indeed, we have more than we need. From the abundance with which you have blessed us, we return this offering, asking that you would bless it and use it, and that we might be blessed as we see your kingdom at work among us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the Lord. Scripture teaches that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table with our risen Lord, who is even now the unseen host at this table. From the pages of the gospel, we read that the disciples were at table with the the Lord when he broke the bread and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Even still, it is to this table that we are all invited to come and to know our Lord. This is not First Church's table. It is not a Presbyterian table. It does not even belong to the church. It belongs to none but Jesus Christ, who calls all, who calls you. Let us pray.
0: The Lord be with you.
1: And also with you.
0: Lift up your hearts.
1: We lift them to the Lord.
0: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right
1: to give our thanks and praise.
0: You formed us in your image to love and serve you, but we forgot your promises and abandoned your commandments. In your mercy, you did not reject us, but still claimed us as your own. When we were slaves in Egypt, you freed us and led us through the waters of the sea. You fed us with heavenly food in the wilderness and satisfied our thirst from desert springs. On the holy mountain, You gave us your law to guide us in your way. Through the waters of Jordan, you led us into the land of your promise, and you sustained us in times of trial. You spoke through the prophets, calling us to turn from our willful ways to new obedience and righteousness. You sent your only Son to be the way to eternal life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with choirs of angels and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name.
1: You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. He took upon himself the weight of our sin and carried the burden of our guilt. He shared our life in every way, and though tempted, was sinless to the end. Baptized as your own, he went willingly to his death, and by your power was raised to new life. In his dying and rising, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died, died. Christ Christ is risen, Christ Christ will come again.
0: Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place, As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Send us in heart and mind to your children of Ukraine. For those who have set out seeking refuge, not knowing where they are going, we pray they may be entertained as angels unawares. For those who remain to fight for their land and their freedom, command your angels concerning them, to guard them in all of their ways. Send us to those whose bodies and spirits have been wounded by violence, whose loved ones have been felled by a bullet. We pray that they may dwell hereafter under the shelter of your wings and abide in the shadow of your tender mercies. Send us to all who languish and are lonely because of COVID, We pray your comfort and ask for them the gifts of perseverance and hope until they and we may resume the lives we have been destined to live together in your love. Help us, O God, to be obedient to your call, to love all your children, to do justice and show mercy, and to live in peace with your whole creation. Guide us through the desert of life. Quench our thirst with the living waters, Satisfy our hunger with the bread of heaven. Give us strength to serve you faithfully until the promised day of resurrection, when with the redeemed of all the ages we will feast with you at your table in glory. Through Christ, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, with the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Church, now and forever. Hear us now as we pray the words you taught us to pray, saying together,
1: Our, our Father, Father
0: These are the gifts of God for the people of God.
1: Let Let us keep the the feast. feast.
0: On the night in which he was betrayed, our Savior took bread. And when he had given thanks, as we have done in his name, he broke it. And said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
1: In the same manner after they had supped, he took the cup. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast. Mm. Let us pray once more. Eternal God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of our sin to bring us once more into your loving embrace. And having been fed at Christ's table, send us now to be his body in the world. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. In peace as God's beloved who have been fed at the table of Jesus Christ. And go in peace, knowing you will return to this table, in this life, or in the life that is yet to come. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love, and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.